Well, good morning. It's good to see your faces. And, uh, you know, I have that privilege. Uh, but, you know, something dawned on me yesterday. I was officiating at a wedding uh, for a, a young person that uh, grew up in our church, um, Lacey Bensing. And as I was doing that, I was at a reception, and I was talking to uh, somebody that was sitting at our table that, uh, come, that attends Calvary Monument. I said, are you still attending Calvary Monument? And uh, they said, oh, yes. We sit in a certain section, and, uh, you know, they're there all the time. And I said, you know, I'm a little bit to the front, and we dismiss from the back. And so the people that are dismissed from the back, they're out there, and they disperse pretty quickly unless they hang around at the portico. Uh, and they don't go to ABFs, but we won't go there. And, uh, and so, so I, I, I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do today? Since I didn't ask permission because I think it's always easier to ask forgiveness. Uh, but I thought what we're going to do today, you're going to stay in your row, but you're going to turn around and you're going to wave to one another. You're not going to throw kisses or anything like that. Just wave. And, and, and by the way, I thought of this because this doesn't work. If you all just turn around in one way and just stay one, one way, you're still just going to see the backs. So what you're going to do is you're going to sort of move around like this and n- notice somebody and point to them and wave, okay? Let's do that right now. And those that are online, you know, you can do that too. Point to people in your room. Yeah, just right now. Yes, that means stand and, and recognize somebody that might be a visitor today. Okay, now don't just go one direction. Uh, turn around. This group's not standing. Come on. Let's do this. Okay, good. Okay, good. Now you can... Did you see everybody? Isn't that great? Hey, Dan, 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 Dan just waved to me. I, of course, I didn't know it was Dan because he has a mask on. But anyway, but it's, uh, it's good to, uh, to greet you in our Savior's name. And... Uh, What I wanted to just tell you right now is that you were just greeting people who are the company of the forgiven. Isn't that a great truth? The company of the forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, all of you are believers. I don't know that. Only the Lord knows the heart. But even those that are not believers, do you know that there is a spirit of forgiveness because those who are believers have the responsibility of even forgiving them. You say, oh, that's not biblical. Uh, Words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, you mean you actually can forgive people who aren't forgive-worthy, if that's a word. But you understand what I'm saying? And so today we're going to be talking about generous forgiveness because This is what is demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. And not only is it demonstrated in his life, but he desires that to be demonstrated in our life, and often it is not. And so we're going to be thinking about that. Just to get our focus upon the scripture of what we're looking at today, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to read some scripture And uh, then we're going to go back and we're going to look at this in some detail. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. The Word of God. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, and that his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. 
So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So this fellow servant saw what had been done, and they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I have had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The word of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are so aware of the fact that we are people who are in the company of the forgiven. We are the people who have received mercy. We've sung about that today. We are the people that have come to God and our debts were beyond anything we could ever pay. And yet in your mercy and in your grace, you provided divine forgiveness. And you have designed your people to be dispensers of that forgiveness to others. As we have read in the account of Scripture today and as we explore this passage, may we understand something about how God wants us to operate in our world. Help us not to just hear truth, but to do as the Scripture says, but be doers of it also. Too many times we are theologically correct, but we are spiritually bankrupt because we do not live out the truth. Save us from that, we pray. Guide us by your Spirit today. Be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Forgiven! As, as I wrote there, as I was thinking about this, Forgiveness is the attribute we most often desire from others, but which we most least, which, but which we least often dispense to them. Sorry, I'm still fogged up from my mask. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Hey, we want it. We want it. But I'm not sure we're always willing to give it. And if we want it, we better be willing to dispense it. As I was preparing this, actually it was a couple of weeks ago because I actually uh, had a chance to share this portion of Scripture last week in another church. But I wanted to do this here because I believe it's a message that needs to be repeated in many places. We live in a culture right now that is not a forgiving culture. And as a matter of fact, we're a very angry culture. And in our anger... Our anger is now being lived out and being demonstrated in the way we even interact with other believers in Christ, as well as how we interact with our unbelieving world. And in that, that demise of forgiveness, a disaster is on the forefront. And so I, as I was preparing this, I started looking at quotes. Do you know that there are a lot of quotes about forgiveness? I mean, plenty, plenty of platitudes. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite uh, uh, quote here. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Think about that. That is a great thought. I, I think of uh, Martin Luther King. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, but a constant attitude. You know, we pat ourselves in the back because uh, I was very forgiving. Uh, you know, that person cut me off and I didn't beat my horn. Well, okay, how about the next guy that cuts you off? <laughs> or the next, or the next day when you're having a bad day? What goes on there? It's a constant act. Even a man who is known by many as being a reprobate, uh, Mark Twain, he said this, very right on target, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. That's a great thought. 
Many of you could come up with platitudes about forgiveness. But God isn't really concerned about our platitudes, the words we speak. What he's concerned about are our practices, the deeds we do. Many people can quote Scripture left and right, up and down. They can quote you everything that the Bible has to say about forgiveness. But unless they live that forgiveness, it means nothing. It means nothing. Because you see, that's where you really see it coming into the forefront. A couple of years ago, I came across a video that really struck me about two Christians who knew an awful lot about forgiveness. Two Christians who were very unlikely people to forgive, and yet they did. In fact, uh, this CBS uh, News on the road uh, was entitled, get the title, long title, cop that framed him. You know, that's, that's kind of uh, newsworthy. It sounds like something that's pretty contemporary. But uh, listen to this video uh, and what it has to say to us, because it's talking about these individuals. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, You know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder (laughs) mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. That's a pretty powerful testimony. And by the way, let me give a disclaimer because somebody's going to jump on me because you won't forgive me for using that illustration. Not all policemen are crooked cops. Understand that. But on the other hand, there are some who might be. And, you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind. And not all people that maybe sometimes are arrested were guilty. Many times they were. So you've got to keep perspective. 
But isn't it interesting how the, the dialogue in our nation would change if all of a sudden we understood the principle that we read in Scripture about forgiveness? You know, isn't it interesting that this young man who spent four years of his life in prison for something he did not do, he was not bitter and enraged and angry and all of the rest because the policeman that did this only got a year and a half. You know, if you're starting to match things up. But you see, something happened. And if you know the rest of the story, that man, when he was in prison, came to know the Lord, and it changed his perspective. And I asked you this question this morning. Does Jesus change your perspective of life? The only way you'll know is the way you treat other people and the way you view God. And that is very, very clear from the passage we read today. Because uh, I, I, I just this one phrase just, just touches me where that policeman is saying to this man who, who uh, he asked for forgiveness, and, and the response was this. He said, you know, he said to me, he loved me. He loved me. And here are the exact words. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I don't deserve that. You see, forgiveness changed perspective. Forgiveness always changes perspective. And I tell you, I am forgiven by Jesus Christ, and that has transformed my perspective. I would love to say that as a result of that, I'm a perfect forgiver, but I'm not. But I've learned something from this passage of Scripture and what I've learned, I have there on the screen, it's a thought that came to mind. The forgiveness we desire from others is what we must dispense to others. You want it? Great. Dispense it. Give it out. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this portion of Scripture today, and there's three portions, or three parts, in my opinion, of the story. And I want to look at that, and as I'm doing that, I'd like to sort of answer some questions as we're going through that. And if you have sermon notes, you can, you can uh, jot down some thoughts uh, that might strike you. The first, the first question that generated the, was the, that generated the story is seen there in verses 21 to 22. Now understand the background of this is in context. You always have to consider context. Matthew 18, uh, you're seeing God's heart for the lost sinner in verses uh, 12 through 14. And God's heart for the lost sinner is he's seeking the perishing. And uh, he uses the example of going out and, and seeking the lost sheep. Verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That's God's agenda. Uh, and then we find out, not only is he interested in redemption, but God's heart is also for the sinning brother. You see that beginning in verse 15 of chapter 18 and down to verse 20. And the emphasis there is upon restoration. This is someone who is a brother... And this brother needs to be restored. And it's talking about how you go about this. It's in that context that Peter comes up there, and, and it really, I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, how generous does our forgiveness have to be? And, and I think it's interesting. You see a human standard in verse 21. And Peter's measured response was this, should we forgive up to seven times? Oh, by the way, he was being rather generous, in his opinion, Peter the generous guy, because after all, the teaching of that day we see from Amos and Job was that, you know, the standard of forgiveness was three times. Man, Peter, you're really going out there. You doubled it and added one. Seven times. Peter there. hey, should we forgive people like the brother and, you know, this person needs, should we do it seven times? So you see this human standard, it's, it's, it's more than the teachings of the rabbis, and he's looking for limits in dealing with people. You know, what's our limit? You know, how far do I have to go with this person? Ah, you ever said that? I just can't believe they're doing this. Well, they've gone over the edge. Where's the edge, brother? Jesus is saying there isn't an edge. Forgiveness is forgiveness. Because you're, you're practicing God-forgiveness. And that's a huge dimension. It's bigger than what we try to do. We try to pull a Peter. Let's measure it. 
But I find it interesting. He moves then from the human standard to the divine standard. Jesus doesn't give a measured response, but Jesus gives a magnanimous response. He says, up to 70 times 7. What Jesus was really doing is He was setting an innumerable standard. How often we say, well, it's only human to feel this way. You know, we, we justify that as we get, we get all, you know, our feathers all fluffed up and, you know, we're, you know I'm, I, it's, it's not anger, it's righteous indignation. <laughs> yeah, what does Jesus say about righteous indignation? He says, there's a time for that. But there's also a time to respond to those who are ungodly and who are acting ungodly to respond to them with the forgiveness as I forgive you. And he forgives me with magnanimous dimensions, not measured dimensions like Peter. So as I see this first part of the story and it's pretty interesting because you see we're not to be responding it's only natural. We're supposed to be responding it's only supernatural. Because what is the key difference is that within you and within me, who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing a job in our life. And it is. And that job is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We have a supernatural activity going on in our life by the character of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you remember what He does in His fruit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, self-control. It's these characteristics, which are all characteristics that need to be part of how we forgive. And so here we see, the first question is, how generous should our forgiveness be? It should be magnanimous. And that becomes clear from that passage. But there's another thought that we see, a second part of the story, and the second part of the story is seen in verses 23 to 34, the largest section of this. And here, the question here is really being asked, do we operate like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the world? And it's introduced. Notice the language in verse 23. Jesus says to this one who is using the standard of the world, you know, what, is, or what are the limitations of forgiveness? And he comes up and he says, okay, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. And what he's doing in this section is he says, are we operating under the kingdom of this world or are we operating of the kingdom in which we are part of? Are we operating under the kingdom of God? How he operates. That's our standard. It's not a human standard, it's a divine standard. Now I notice, first of all, in verse 23, the king had a legitimate right. It's, it's his right to check out you know, what the account that should be given. And it says the king settles the accounts with the servants. Interesting Greek words there. The word for king is the leader of the people, the prince, the commander, the lord of the land, or the king. That's the Greek word. The other word that's used there it says that he's calling in, he's checking in on the doulos. He's checking in on the slave, the bondman, the man of servitude, the man who answers to the king. In other words, this is legitimate. This, this accountability is a legitimate accountability. And I tell you, God has the right to come to us and hold us accountable for our actions. I find it very interesting that we always want him to be holding somebody else accountable for their actions and leave us alone. But actually, he has the right to come to us, we who declare ourselves as being spiritual, and he has the right to say to the spiritual, are you really living the life that I've designed you and empowered you to live, or are you living at a lower standard? Are you living at an earth-level standard, or are you living to a divine heavenly standard? That's the question. And so we see the king with legitimate rights, but then we see the servant with massive debts. And he owed 10,000 talents that he could not pay. You better believe he couldn't pay it. Do you know what that translates into in our, in our thinking? You see, a talent was a measure of gold between 58 to 80 pounds of gold. 
That's one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. That, that, that means millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's very obvious with that kind of thing, uh, he was not possibly going to be able to pay. Now, how in the world did he come up with that kind of debt? We don't know. There's been several things that have been suggested. Was he a provincial governor who owed tax money? I think the story that Jesus is trying to say is he says, get the, get the understanding here. This debt is unpayable. There's no, there's no amount of money. This man's not going to come up with the money. He can't. So he has this massive debt. You see there in verses 24 and 25. And so what does this servant do? I think he does what we all do. Oh man, I'm in trouble. For, you know, and he does that. I, I, love the, I love the language that he uses there. He says in verse 25, the last part of verse 25, you know, the master commanded that he, sold, he be sold with his wife, his children, all that he had, and the payment made. In other words, he still was up short. Everything he had, everything was gone. In verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Wait a minute. This is an unpayable debt. Right? And you're coming along and you're saying that you're going to pay it if you have enough time. Uh, that doesn't work unless you don't understand your debt. You know, there's a lot of people that come into this world and think that they can pay the debt of, that they have in, in, a, in their offense against an almighty God. We've un, we've, we have done the most unbelievably wrong things before a holy God. There is no way we can pay that debt. No way. There's no assets. You can take all of our assets, all of our talents, all of our wishes, all of our desires, all of our efforts, all of our works, and you'll never pay that debt. And yet people struggle to try and pay the debt that they can't pay. That's where grace comes in. That's where mercy comes in. And that's why we need to be so appreciative of our, our, our wonderful forgiveness. It's amazing. That's why a man would write Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me with this innumerable debt that we cannot pay. But yet, he said he promised to repay. Verse 26, an impossible expectation. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. No, you won't. You can't. He was desperate. But he did not realize how desperate he actually was. He presumed that he could care for the debt he owed. I wonder sometimes if we do the same thing. Do we have that attitude when it comes to the forgiveness that we've received? Do we understand how big it is? Or are we just saying, well, you know, I, I didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls that do. Not a, not a big deal, you know. Thank, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Our debt was a lot bigger than that. We have offended a holy, almighty, righteous, all-righteous God. You will never pay that debt. But the good news is this. Jesus did. And he invites you to enter in to the forgiveness that he offers by accepting the work that Jesus did on the cross for your sins and mine. That's the forgiveness we've received. And that's the dimensions of the forgiveness we need to give. Those are pretty big dimensions. But, you know, some of us are sitting here rather smugly. Wow. Yeah. That's not how life is. That's how the life is if one is spirit-filled. And I say that strongly. Because those who are unforgiving are not spirit-filled, period. You can say, well, you know, this is all legitimate. Listen. You know what was legitimate in the, if God was dealing with us today the way we should have been dealt with? The wages of sin is death. Period. But here's where forgiveness comes. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amazing truth. And so, 
I, I, he says he's going to pay, and he can't. And then notice in verse 27, the king dispenses mercy. He was moved with pity. He released and he forgave him. The motivation of the king was moved with compassion. Not obligation, but compassion. Obligation, that man should be in prison. But he was moved by compassion. And that motivation of the king moved him to action. Notice two actions. The verbs come in here. He released. He forgave. Release. That means to release a debtor. And and as one uh, Greek grammarian puts it, not to press one's claim against, to remit the debt. That's what he did. He released. And then he forgave. That means to, to give up the debt. And that's what he did. That's what the king did. And that's what our king of kings does as far as your sin and mine. He forgives fully. I want to tell you that this, the accuser of the brethren called Satan, he accuses us, and what he accuses us of is you can never be forgiven. Your offense is too great. That's a lie. Because our sins are covered by at the infinite price of the blood of Christ. All of our finite sins against an infinite God are covered by the infinite grace, mercy, and forgiveness because of Jesus Christ and His finished work. Amen? Amen. I want you to notice one other thing. The servant, he's going to react by, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Oh, whew. Dodged a bullet, you know? Now, I, now, who can I help? No way. What does he do? Look at this. Look at the treatment. Look at how he acts. The servant acts ungraciously. He doesn't act as he's been treated. He acts totally the opposite. He went out and fell, found a fellow servant. Look at the treatment of this fellow servant. He dealt with him. Notice that word, that Greek word, harshly. Harshly. And this means without mercy. He deals with them harshly. No sense of his own forgiveness. Perhaps he felt maybe that he deserved the mercy he received. Well, you know, I, you know that guy, you know, he, he's so wrong. He's so bad. He's so, I mean, he, he doesn't deserve any forgiveness. Not at all. Oh, of course, me. You know, I'm not that bad. You know, I can understand how God could forgive me. You know, I sort of, you know, I mean, after all, doesn't God grade on a curve you know I, i'm in the good part of the curve that's not how oh let me let me just tell you what a professor told me in my greek class because you really need to know this all means all and that's all that all means for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god there's not one of us not one of us that are in a different plane we're all in the same plane we're all standing at the foot of the cross, condemned equally because we have offended a holy and just God. And it is at that place, at the foot of the cross, where forgiveness and mercy and grace pour in. So I, I see the, the thing there. One, one person made an observation. It was, it was tremendous. He said, ignorance or forgetfulness of his own guilt makes him harsh and cruel to others. Isn't that sometimes how we come across? Because somehow we, we feel that we are not the company of the forgiven, but we're the company of those who should have been forgiven. No, you shouldn't have been forgiven. You were condemned already. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, not because we deserved it, but because of His grace and His mercy. And, and you'll notice not only the treatment of the fellow servant, but notice the compassionlessness, there's a great word, of the fellow servant. And the fellow servant, he says, have patience with me and I will repay. By the way, same words. Did you see that in the text? Same words that that man used with, that, with his master that was evaluating him. He, this, this servant that he's dealing with harshly, he uses the same words, totally different response. He throws him into prison. And by the way, I want you to notice something about this. 
that the, 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 the wages that were being involved here, it was a different, a different debt. Did you notice that in verses 29 to 30? Because this fellow servant, he owed 100 denarii, verse 28. You know what 100 denarii works out to be? Three months of work. That was payable. That was doable. In other words, it was not even to the same extent of the debt that he had been forgiven. This is a much smaller debt, and yet he wouldn't forgive. Amazing truth. And then we see the king's displeasure in verses 31 to 34, and I think it's very, very clear there because uh, you see the action other people see when we are not forgivers. Those who refuse to forgive, it's a testimony to the world not of who Christ is, but of who we are. We then become the, the company of the unforgiven because we are unforgiving when we ought to be forgivers. Amazing truth. Amazing truth. You know, the, the people watched and other servants are, are viewing this and they, they're seeing how this man who had been forgiven so much, how he responds, and they report it to their master. And how does the master, uh, he become, after he becomes aware of this merciless action, what does he do? He confronts the merciless sinner. And he challenges him in verse 32. You wicked servant! I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I have had pity on you? What is he confronting there? Two things. His ingratitude. He overlooked how he had been treated. In verse 33, he confronts him about his lack of mercy. Should you not have had pity? And then you'll notice the king's displeasure, not only aware of this merciless action and confronting this merciless servant, but he disciplines the, this unforgiving servant. And he was jailed for... Notice this. What was he jailed for? He was jailed for not... for not having pity. For not doing what he should have done. He, he, he was jailed for, display, for not displaying mercy. For, not for the former debt which has been released and forgiven. He was holding him accountable for how he was acting and how he was conducting himself. You see, he, like one person puts it, Trench puts it this way, he had, he had not called him on account of his debt. He now calls him on account of his ingratitude and his cruelty. Having received, he remained unmerciful still. You know, I, I was so convicted as I was preparing this. You know, this is the problem of being a preacher so many times. I, I learn the lessons long before you do. I just don't live them, you know, unfortunately. You know, and I'm starting to tick off in my mind, how many people have I not forgiven the way I should have forgiven them? And you know, there are people that I have dealt with very harshly when I should have dealt with them with much more grace, with much more pity, with much more compassion and patience and temperance and meekness and self-control. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going back to the fruit of the Spirit. That's right. In other words, I didn't respond to them as I should have, knowing that within my life, the potential to live the Christian life is there because the Spirit of God indwells me. If the Spirit of God is not indwelling me, I'm not a believer. If I'm a believer, I can quench the Spirit of God, I can grieve the Spirit of God, and I will not live to the glory of God, but I can't excuse myself as saying, I just couldn't do it. And as I was thinking of people, I thought of something that happened to me in my life, and, and I was bitter, I was angry. And I, and I, in my mind, this is justified anger. And it wasn't. Not at all. They were sinners, and they were acting like sinners. You say, well, they were saints. Yeah, but they were acting like sinners. You know, that can happen. 
But, but they're saints. They're, but they were ignorant of a truth. They maybe hadn't matured in an understanding. But, 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 but take all of those things, all of those buts that you would use to excuse my, my action toward those people. And it was wrong. It was still wrong. Because God demands of me to forgive as I have been forgiven. I uh, come to the last part of this uh, message, the last part of the story. Actually, that's a typo. Can you forgive me? <laughs> I didn't put that in there intentionally. You see, the, the, the Roman numeral does not match. Just thought I'd point that out to you. But, <clears throat> but it, isn't it interesting there? That all of this is to teach the principle that established a standard forgiveness. Listen to this. Here's where this story is coming from Jesus. He says, you want to know the application? Here it is. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart, if each of you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You see, the question we answer here is, you know, what do we learn from this about forgiveness? We learn this. Forgiveness is from the heart. A lot of us have this idea it's from the head. It's from the heart. The heart that has impacted the head. But it's out of the heart men live. And it impacts how they think. It's from the heart. One person put it this way, genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. It is the state of the heart, not a matter of calculation. Forgive without stopping. Be kind toward your brother always. And the second principle that comes up there is forgiveness demands a life response. It's not only from the heart, but it forgives. I like what one person said. said the Lord was teaching that forgiveness ought to be in direct proportion to the amount forgiven. The first servant had been forgiven all, and he in turn should have forgiven all. A child of God has all his sins forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when someone sins against him, he ought to be willing to forgive from the heart, no matter how many times the act occurs. Some people are slow learners. It takes them a long time to walk away from their sin, or it takes a long time for them to develop a proper understanding of truth. Do we give them the time? By the way, oh, back to the Holy Spirit again. Do you know what it says? The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. You know how that's really translated in the Greek language? Long-fused. Got a long fuse. Most of us live with a short fuse. We're blowing up all over people. God doesn't want us to blow up over people. He wants us to embrace people with loving compassion and forgiveness as Christ forgives us. I, uh, again, go back to that principle that we said, I think this, this passage teaches. The forgiveness we desire from others, we have to dispense to others. This, this by the way, was constantly and consistently taught throughout Scripture. This is why you need to correlate Scripture. This is why you don't stay in one passage. You go at the, look at the entire expanse of the Word of God, God's revelation. What does God's revelation teach to man? Well, Ephesians 4, be kind one to the other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, as, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Or how about this, Colossians 3.13, bearing with, with each other and for and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then I could go back to the direct statements of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, shall receive mercy. Or forgive our debtors. For Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive you. I'd like to close with an illustration. The illustration is Corey Tenboom. Some of you remember Corey Tenboom. Younger people may not have this understanding. Comes back from World War II. Her and her sister were uh, imprisoned in Ravensbrück in Germany in a concentration camp, treated extremely harshly. 
her sister died there. Her family died in concentration camps. And God had given her a ministry, a calling. And the calling was that after the war was over, she went back to Germany to help rebuild spiritually the German communities that had been broken with the war. And the story is told in, in uh, some, one of her books. I think it was, I uh, uh, forget the title now. But it, at any rate, uh, she came along in that account, and she talks about being in, in, in uh, Munich in 1947. And by that time, she had been speaking in a lot of places in Germany, and she'd been talking about how they needed to understand God's forgiveness. And she was, she was giving the platitudes. And all of a sudden... She saw a man in one of the places there in Munich, in that places where she was speaking, came forward to greet her, and Corey froze. It was one of the prison guards. He didn't recognize her. She recognized him. She recognized him as the one who was mocking and ridiculing the women as they stripped off their clothing, threw it in a pile, and went into the showers. And he ridiculed, and he mocked, and he treated, and he had the reputation of harshness. He walked up to her, and he said, and I quote, stuck out his hand, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And then she wrote, and I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. But then I remembered him, and I remembered the, the treatment of how he treated me, and my blood just froze. And then he said to her, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me from the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And she said, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. My sister had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to take his hand. And she said, I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. And said, standing before this SS man, I remembered that forgiveness was an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And she put out her hand and as I did, an incredible thing took place. There was healing in my heart, in my heart, as I embraced him. And she said, brother, excuse me, I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. You see, that's really the important thing. Do we obey Christ or not? I want to tell you, it's not an option. By the way, many of the times where Christ is talking about forgiveness, it's a command. He doesn't say, if you feel like it. No, you just do it. It's your responsibility because of the fact that you've been forgiven. You have been forgiven much. Forgive much. I want to ask the question this morning as we conclude. Is there someone, some hard-hearted unforgiveness that's lodged in your heart? I went through this, and I know it's uh, about time to wrap it up, but I went through this after um, I had been uh, attacked and stabbed, and, and it was over, you know, it was done, and, you know, the person got, got off because I wouldn't, I wouldn't prosecute uh, because I didn't, I couldn't defi definitely say in a lineup that I knew who the person was that had attacked me and stabbed me. And uh, the man, as far as I was concerned, he got off. He got off scot-free. He did this to me. It was horrible. He was bad. He was evil. 
He should have been punished. Do you know what that did to me? That ate my lunch for years. Every, every so often when I go past the parsonage, I remember there were nights where I would wake up still fighting those guys that attacked me. Filled with sweat. Shaking. Angry. Bitter. And one night, I can remember, after having prepared the message I was going to give to this church, I remember getting up and walking to the dining room and looking out that window and it was I don't know, sometime in the middle of the night and I said, Lord, I'm battling something that should be done. I forgive that guy that stabbed me. I don't know where he is. I don't even know he's alive. But I forgive him. And Father, forgive me for not being a forgiver. You know, it, it changed me. I can't say that I've never had bad thoughts again. Matter of fact, as the riots were taking place in Philadelphia, it flashed me right back to 1967 when that happened. But you know, it was very quick for me to respond this time. Lord, I've already forgiven that person because you have forgiven me. Corey Ten Boom wrote in, in her notebook, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Some of us need to go back and we have people we need to forgive. We have treated them improperly. And until we do that, we're the ones that are shackled, not them. Have they done wrong? Possibly. Very likely. Or maybe we don't understand all that's going on. But I do know this. The forgiven have to become forgivers for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I pray that today your word would be sealed into our hearts. If there's someone here today that is wrestling with people, they're wrestling with uh, anger, many of those angers that are, we wrestle with, they're not righteous angers. They're just angers. And they're angers because we do not forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Lord, help us to practice what we see and what we see is Jesus. And I see him on the cross crying out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Who? Those that had rejected him. Those that were putting him to death. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, may we manifest a similar spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.